Well, today we're going to do something. Um, it's not the same message as last week. It's a to- totally different message. So if you saw the title, it's not a repeat, uh, but it's another really good message that has a lot to do with us, uh, with where we are. And so I thought, well, it doesn't matter if it's in the same book, but it is the same book. We're going to allude to the book of Jonah, but we're going to see a totally different message today. Um, The book of Jonah, as I did say last week, it's a short book. It's just four chapters long, kind of tucked away in the middle of the Old Testament. And we all know the story. We, We think about the whale but the, there's stories within that, uh, that event that took place that is way bigger than just Jonah being swallowed by a whale. When we look in the book of Jonah, we can see a really strong picture of what it means when God puts a call on a person's life. Because that's what he did with Jonah. And then we can also see in the same book the fall of a person's life when they run from that calling that God has called them to do. So we are the uh, benefactors, if you will, of, getting a, of being able to watch someone who didn't do it right, but later got his act together and obeyed God. And in the same way, every single one of us here in this room, you have a call. You have a call. I said last week, uh, you've been called to go to Nineveh too. But your Nineveh might be where you work. It might be your school. It might be your family. It might be a neighbor. But you have a Nineveh. If you're a child of God, you have a calling. You are not called to just warm a pew every Sunday morning. Because if that is all you do, you are missing God's calling. And you are. The, those that uh, stepped up, went on the, on, on the, uh, the uh, mission field this, uh, this week, not every single one of them was gung-ho ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. But they went. And they did go. Uh, I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to use her as an example, but it's because she's not here to do anything about it. Uh, Nancy, oh, fancy Nancy, she went on the trip, and I'm going to tell you right now, if there was a person that was really struggling, it was Nancy, and I believe very strongly that God is going to do something really big in her life, because, I mean, she's right at the place with the right heart, the right attitude to be used, Accepting the call of God is the safest place you could ever be in your life. It's when you run from it, that's a scary place to be. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at Jonah. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 38 through 41, and you'll see it on the screen Uh, behind me too it says this then some of the scribes and the pharisees answered him talking to jesus saying teacher we want to see a sign from you but he answered and he said to them 
An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, this is worth remembering right here, more than anything is this verse, verse 41. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented from the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, that's kind of one of those afterthoughts that's kind of tucked in coming through the back door that just lights up the, 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 the whole house. We hear this. The people wanted Jesus to give a sign, produce a miracle, to entertain him or, or them. They wanted Jesus to step up and basically act like a circus act. He was to perform at their command. And yet what they failed to recognize, in this chapter, chapter 12, it's all full of miracles and healings. He was doing all kinds of miracles. But they didn't see it. And the reason they didn't see it, they didn't have eyes to see. They'd say to Jesus, give us a sign and we'll believe. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, spoke to their heart. He didn't speak to their necessarily and uh, giving an answer to their question. He spoke to their heart. And he called them an evil and adulterous generation. See, it wasn't enough for them to see a sign and thereby recognize Jesus. It didn't matter. Because he had already uh, healed a lame man. He had already freed a demon-possessed man who was both blind and he could not speak. He had already done that. What more did he need to do? You see, it was never, ever going to be enough for them. And Jesus, like I said, when he tucked in that, that ending, that last part of verse 41, y'all, that's really worth noting. Because he said, on judgment day, the, the men, the people of Nineveh will stand up and they will condemn you. What did he mean by that? What he was telling the people around that day and all those Pharisees that were condemning him, he was telling them if the people of Nineveh, who was just as wicked as you, repented, because we know that's what they did, if since they repented at the preaching of the word that judgment was coming and that was enough to pierce their heart so that they repented of their sins and they decided to follow after God, when they see you, they will condemn you. Because you see, that was enough of a sign to reach them. And Jesus was telling them, the same sign, if you will, has been done in front of you, except he's done more. He's been healing people. Jonah, he just went through the city. It took him three days to walk through it, and he preached the message of judgment and condemnation, and it's coming your way. And that 
so terrified those people that they repented and they followed after God and God relented from what he did. And so what he is saying right here is there's a day of judgment and on that day of judgment, the Bible says everything will be exposed to the light. Every single thing is to be revealed. And on that day, you will see those pronouncing judgment against you because you didn't get it. And you should have. Because a lot's been done in front of you. That's why Jesus ended what he said, for someone much greater than Jonah is here. It was just, it's, it's just, it's aghast that they didn't get it. Robert Ingersoll, he was the infamous skeptic of the late 19th century, was speaking to a packed-out auditorium. Though raised the son of a minister, he did not believe in God. To conclude his speech one night, he said that he was going to give God five minutes to kill him. And the clock began to tick. The pressure mounted. Some people got so nervous, they got up and they left. One woman fainted. And finally, the time elapsed, and Mr. Ingersoll bowed to thunderous applause. One lady said to a young man, he really proved something tonight. I would think, yeah, he did. He proved that God does not take orders from an atheist. That's what he proved that night. Jonah prefigures the resurrection. But he as a man does not prefigure Christ, nor does he prefigure his character. We can compare Jonah and Jesus, but we can also contrast Jonah and Jesus. Jesus said, one greater than Jonah is here. So let's compare Jonah with Jesus, and then we're going to see how we play a part in that same comparison. But first, we're going to look at Jonah, the pouting prophet. And that's the first point. Jonah, the pouting prophet. Why was Jonah pouting throughout the book? He just preached, literally, the greatest revival uh, in the history of the world at that time and even till now. Because we know hundreds of thousands of people were converted. Could have been as high as a million. But he is pouting. He is angry. He's very angry. He's, he's got a lot of issues. He's like the salesman that just closed a mega deal. He is like that ball player who trained hard and finally won the Super Bowl or the World Series. He's just like those kinds of guys. That's what he just did. J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorite uh, preachers, he's in, in glory now, radio uh, commentator, theologian, he had this to say, and you're going to like this. This is just good. He said, I have no problems with the fish. He's talking about the whale swallowing Jonah. He went on and he said, but I have a lot of problems with this man Jonah. Isn't that good? That's good. 
Man, that, that is really good. And see, it's the miracle of the whale swallowing a person and surviving for three days, and it's happened before. We talked about that last week. I quoted the person in the story. It happened. That alone is not hard to accept. What's hard to accept is the attitude of the messenger that God was sending in Jonah. And you should have a problem with him too. The first point of, of Jonah, the pouting prophet, is Jonah, Jonah had problems. Jonah had a lot of problems. Um, his problems can be found in his demeanor and uh, in, in, in his outlook. His predisposition about how God was to act and how God was to react was completely skewed. I mean, after all, isn't God supposed to help those who help themselves? That's what he thought. That's what we've been told. That's what you might have heard. I mean, it must be biblical, right? Because everyone says it. But the truth is, it's incorrect. It's not right. It's a wrong statement to make, and it is very unbiblical. It's just not in the Word of God. It's not in there. It's a lie. But you could not convince Jonah otherwise. His problem lay in the fact that he expected God to do things a certain way. I mean, this is how God moves. This is how God works. This is how God does what he does. That's why he gets the name God. And this is the way that it is. And that was the way Jonah thought. And before we get quick to think negative on Jonah, we need to step back and we need to ask ourselves, do I do that? Have you ever had this thought? Something has happened. And you might not have said it verbally, but in your mind, God, did you just drop the ball? guilty you ever looked at god and you question something and it's like why weren't you there guilty you ever sit there and you looked at a situation being for what it is very with human words it's impossible to describe much less understand it and you have that passing thought god doesn't care i'm the only one down here and i'm the only one that knows it Ever had those thoughts? Guilty. Jonah had many problems. He had many issues. Uh, and they may have contributed to his pouting type of uh, outlook that he had, but they were not the main reason for his problem. Second, Jonah had prejudice issues. Jonah was angry very angry that God would actually turn and, and want to have mercy on the Ninevites. Because you see, Jonah didn't see this as a group of people that was worth redeeming. They were worthy of damnation. They were worthy of turning the other cheek and walking away. Jonah has some deep-seated, hated issues on a type of people 
Now, there's no mistake about it. The Assyrians were extremely evil. They were strong oppressors. They would be the equivalent of what we might think of today when we think about an, uh, a Muslim insurgent who blows himself up and kills hundreds of people. And maybe you sit there and you've looked at the TV, guilty, when that happens, and you just wish God would just drop the nuke and just take them all away. That's what Jonah felt. They were oppressors. They did not keep the law. They were not of the chosen people of God. But never mind that the Jewish people themselves were the beneficiaries of God's grace. Forget that. Nor that even Jonah himself was the recipient of one who had received grace too. See, no one else was deserving of such an honor, Jonah thought, than the Jewish people. In Matthew chapter 20, I'm not going to read all the verses. Jesus, uh, in verses 1 through 20, Jesus gave a parable and he addressed this point. Y'all, it is powerful. I mean, it is like really, really good. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. I'll just begin the parable. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius, that's a type of money, it's a wage, when he uh, met with the laborers and they got on the same page with an agreement of how much he would pay them, he sent them out into the vineyard. Verse 3. And he went out about the third hour, and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You too go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you too. I will pay you. This is later on in the day. And they agreed. And then they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and then the ninth hour, and he did the same thing. And then check this. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. So he said to them, You too go into the vineyard. Now, there's a reason why, they said, because no one hired us. I don't know if you're already connecting that last group with what we covered last week and what we're talking about here today, about a group of people that's not worthy of God's salvation, of God's redemption. In this story, Jesus is telling a parable. A parable is a heavenly truth that's applied in an earthly way that we can connect to it. And he literally comes out and he says, the owner of a vineyard was hiring laborers to work his vineyard, to be a part of what he is doing. And some came at the, the minute the sun came up, they were up. And he hired them. And they he told them, this is what I will pay you. They were very happy about that. They received that. They accepted that. And they went into the field and they started working. And as the day moves on, 
other people are joining. They didn't start off at the same time as those who were first working. Even to the point, the last hour, Jesus makes a point and he says to them, why are you standing here idle in the marketplace? And they said, because nobody would hire us. And he said, I'll hire you. Go work in the vineyard. And when you read the rest of that parable, <clears throat> the Bible says that the day was over and all the laborers came in to receive um, their payment. And the ones who were hired last were the first ones to receive the payment from the landowner. And when those who were hired first saw what the ones who were hired last, when they saw what they got, man, they thought they just hit the jackpot. Because if they're getting paid for one hour to receive all of this, I mean, they got it made. So they're already thinking about their 401k, their retirement home, where they're going to start vacationing three times a year. I mean, their minds are already there. And when you read the end of that parable, when Jesus paid them, he paid them what he paid the people that worked that last hour. And do you think they were happy? They were not happy at all. In fact, when you read this parable, the owner of the vineyard says to those people, those laborers, what have I done to you? Did we not agree on such and such a price? Why is it that you are angry when you were so happy when we agreed on the wage? You go and enjoy your wage, but I have a right to do with what I want to do with what is mine. That's the same point that Jonah struggled with in this passage. Because you see, the Assyrians, they were that group that came in maybe at the sixth hour or the ninth hour. They might have represented that group that came in at the eleventh hour. And to Jonah, just drop the bomb. Just drop the bomb. It's not even worth shaking the dust off of my hand. Drop the bomb. They're not worthy. They don't deserve it. It's that last hour. And yet, what did Jesus say in his parable? He said, they're worthy. No one would hire us. We don't know why we're not working. All we know is nobody will tell us. So the owner goes to them. And he says, I'm going to tell you. You come. You come and be, you come. You be with me. You work. You'll be with me. And I'm going to reward you. Now, there's a lot of people that have their lives changed in the last hour. And while there are those on the outside who look at them with, with an improper thought, because it's a, it's a bad motive, it's a, it's a bad um, um, outlook, really? So they waited this long? And God is just opening the doors, just like he did me when I accepted Jesus 50 years ago? There's not very many people like that. But there are those who are like that. They fail, they fail to recognize this thing 
called mercy and, and grace. They completely, they have changed grace and mercy and they've made it a matter of work and what they do rather than what it's really all about. I've shared the story before of a friend, uh, a good friend of mine named Todd, whose dad was dying. He was in his 80s and he had drank his whole life. He's in the hospital now and he's not going to live. And I went to see him. And as I was talking to him, I was told the day before that he accepted Christ just two days earlier than that. So I go to the hospital, uh, Harris downtown, I go in his room, and as I'm talking to this elderly gentleman, and believe me, he, he got it at the 11th hour, but he got it. All he did while he was laying there was weep. And I felt uncomfortable, but only because I didn't want him to feel uncomfortable because he was really upset. And I was thinking, gosh, man, I really came at a bad time. But God really confirmed upon me later, no, you went at the right time. Because all he kept saying to me was, why did I wait so long? I had no idea. And I told him what I've said a million times over, a million times over. It doesn't matter when you get it. Get it. Just get it. It's not a good beginning that counts as much as having a good ending that does. Amen? Amen. My dad, my dad has a good ending now. And my dad got saved at the 10th hour. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old. I wasn't raised in a church. I didn't know anything about the Bible. Nothing. I was just 19 years old. I, would, I don't know what hour I'd call that. The third hour? I don't know. But I've been a Christian for a little while since then. And I'm going to tell you right now, people's attitudes today resemble more of a serves them right, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It does. They'll get what's coming to them. Well, you know what? I'm really thankful that I don't get what I deserve. God does not give us what we deserve. He gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us grace and He gives us mercy. Amen? Amen. You can clap on that. I'll clap on that. You know, one of Napoleon's troops was caught deserting his post. True story. He was hauled in for judgment when he was caught. And the mother of this soldier learned of his dilemma and was present at this hearing. She threw herself before the emperor and pled for mercy. Napoleon replied, he does not deserve mercy. If he deserved it, it would not be mercy. Now, you got to think on that. That is powerful. You know, in Titus 3, 5, pretty much says the same thing. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, 
that he saved us. None of us are getting into heaven because of what we've done. Hey, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Church of Christ, I'm a Church of God, I'm holiness, I'm Pentecostal, I'm fundamental Baptist, I'm American Baptist, I'm independent Baptist, I'm a sick Baptist. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. You know what matters? Right there. According to His mercy that He saved us. Rich or poor, black or white, tall or short, does not matter. You know what matters? Whosoever will. That's what matters. That is what matters. That's the only thing that matters. It's about God's right to be merciful. Jonah not only had a problem, he not only had prejudice issues, but Jonah had a lot of pride. In fact, in his life completely, from beginning to end, it is marked with pride. He was consumed with it. You know, pride is the only sin known to mankind where the root of that uh, sin is pride. Pride is the reason and the existence for every single sin that is out there. Pride is the number one sin that was committed with the angelic host before Satan and his demons were kicked out of heaven. And pride is the number one sin that happened to mankind on this earth. It was pride. If only we could lower our pride and allow humility to reign, can you imagine the difference that it would make in our church? Can you imagine what would happen? I mean, like in every church. God is opposed to the proud, as it says in James, but gives grace to the humble. Did you catch that? But gives grace to the humble. It's it's. It's, it's the most important. If your life were an open book of just four chapters, how many chapters of it would be characterized by pride? Now I'm talking about your life. How many? Well, so much for the pouting prophet. Let's look at the second part of this story and what it means to us. Let's take a look at the picture of the gracious God. God was gracious to the Ninevites. There's nothing else that needs to be said. Anytime, anytime a person repents and turns to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and accepts what he did as all sufficient enough of a reason for them to go to heaven, they will also discover the graciousness of God. They will discover God's forgiveness his restoration, and his inner peace and joy that only God can give. And they will experience it every single time because it's not what we do, it's what he did. It's what he did. God is no respecter of persons. God is not slow, as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not slow concerning his promise, as many count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all come to repentance through Jesus Christ. 
I stated last week that one of the best verses you will ever find in Scripture is found in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Well, you know, Jonah, when he quoted that verse, he must have memorized that verse when he was in Sunday school because that verse is found in Exodus. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. This is when God characterized himself uh, to Moses. And Jonah knew the word of God. He also knew how the Israelites had sinned by fashioning uh, uh, the golden calf. He knew, Jonah knew, how they repented and how God relented. And it happened in the book of Jonah. Remember that verse? The verse says, Then the Lord proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives inequity, transgression, and sin. This is the heart of the God that we serve. His desire is to show compassion, and His desire is to forgive. And those in Nineveh experienced it firsthand. They repented, and God relented. You know, the problem in preaching is you, you will almost always have two different groups of, of people. There will be that one group that feels like they've sinned too much in order to be forgiven. And then you'll have that other group. It's the group that doesn't take sin serious enough to know how much they've been forgiven. To both of those groups... The book of Jonah speaks today. And keep in mind that verse in Exodus that God said that Jonah quoted, the rest of that verse says, He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers, of the children and the grandchildren, to the third and fourth generations. God takes sin serious, and we should too. You know, the saddest part of the book of Jonah lies in the fact that Jonah could have been a witness to the greatest revival ever in the history of mankind, the literal salvation of hundreds of thousands of people. But because Jonah was controlled by misplaced priorities and he had a bitter and a hardened heart, he was missing every single thing that God was doing and every single thing that God wanted to do. Jonah's personal comfort meant more to him than conversions. And let that sink in. Jonah's personal comfort meant more to him than conversions. We have a team that left on Saturday. I know they were up, some of them probably didn't go to bed because they, they left at 1 o'clock in the morning to go to the airport. This week, the work that they're going to be doing, it's not a vacation. It's work. They're laying aside a week of their life of being, uh, living in comfort because of their desire to see lives changed.
I wonder this morning for us if our comfort stands in the way of what God wants to do and what God would do through you and the way in which He would reach others if we laid aside our comfort. I wonder if we hold on too much to being comfortable and feeling good and looking good and being a part of this, being a part of that. I wonder if we care more about these good things than we care about what God wants to do if only we would let Him move. I don't know, it's a good thought. And God was really gracious too to that pouting prophet, wasn't He? He never gave Jonah what he asked for. Remember what happened after they did repent? Remember he went out to the outside city and he sat on this hill and there was a really scorching east wind blowing through. It was so hot that he started to faint. And overnight, a giant plant grew. And one day, provided so much shade for this prophet who was still hoping that God was going to wipe out the whole city that after a full day of being comforted by a plant, God destroyed the plant the following day, leaving him subjected to the elements of the heat. And it was so bad that not to Jonah that not only did God not kill the Ninevites, but that he was suffering in this heat because of his bitterness and the position that he put himself in, that he asked God to just kill him. If he had something with him, he would have committed suicide. But he didn't. So he told God to kill him. Remember what God basically did? He didn't do anything. He just told him, Jonah, do you really have a right to be this angry? And what was his response? Yes, I do. Now kill me. You know, there's a really good theologian by the name of Garth Brooks <laughs> that wrote a song that addressed this moment in Jonah's life. Thank God for unanswered prayer. How many of you are thankful for unanswered prayers? Put both hands up on that. You know what? I told the youth on Wednesday night, and I'm going to say this to you guys here this morning. God is greater than our weaknesses. And I am so thankful for that. Amen? He is so much greater. And he was with Jonah, too. In fact, I think our weaknesses reveal just how great a God it is that we serve. That's what I think. You know, 2 Timothy 2.13 says it best. If we remain faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You know, the theologian John Phillips put it this way. He said, even when we disappoint the Lord, he remains true to his word and his character and is faithful in his dealings regarding us. God is faithful even when His children are not. He'll do whatever is necessary 
to save. He'll put a prophet in the belly of a whale, or he'll put his son in the heart of the earth, if that's what it takes. God wants a relationship with you. God wants to walk with you. Every single day, God wants to talk to you. And God wants to tell you things. He wants to speak to you. Let's work this week at putting aside the noise and the distractions that keeps us from being in a place where we could hear from God. I would think that some of us in the room here today, we need to spiritually begin to exercise in a different way than we're doing it right now. I'm going to ask that this week, you do, this is everybody here, me included, me especially, everybody here this week, you find a way to give God five minutes, five minutes, and I'm talking about the weekends too, a whole week. You're going to give God five minutes of uninterrupted time. Just five. Do more. It's a bonus. But it's whether it's noon, the third hour, sixth hour, it's still the same. Five minutes. I want you to give God five minutes of uninterrupted time, and I want you to talk to Him. Open up your Bible and just read a little bit. And pray just a little bit. And then you go on and live your day. All right? If you really want to know a good psalm to focus on, you can read it the whole week, and you'll want to read it even a million times more. Psalm 103. That's a good one. You'll see what I mean when you look at it. I want us this week to really begin to put ourselves in a place where we can hear from God. Some of us need that. We all need it. Some of us really need to get back to that because the lord did put his son in the heart of the earth where he was buried for three days to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin so today i want to ask you to reflect on your problems on your misplaced priorities on your issues and i want you to evaluate those issues by taking them to the cross and you're going to do that this week in your five minutes of uninterrupted time what is your pride what is your pride keeping you from seeing that's the question this morning i'm going to suggest that we all run to the gracious god and let's leave our pouting behind okay let's pray Father, we just want to come before you this morning. God, we want to thank you for your word. God, we want to thank you for the example that we saw in Jonah. I don't know how thankful he was to find himself in the position that he was at when he really, really came to his senses. But God, we're really thankful for it because it helps us to recognize and know and to know for ourselves just how foolish so many times we are and the way we act, the things that we say, the things that we don't say, the things that we don't do because we're just so caught up with our agenda, building our kingdom that we, we totally forget about 
building yours. Lord, I pray that this week, Father, would you really reach out and grab us and speak to us. God, we want to begin again to spiritually exercise the things in our life, God, that we need to be doing. And Lord, I want to ask that you would really speak to everyone that is here, God. Everybody here is on a different journey. They're in a different place in their life. And Lord, I really want to ask that you would meet them where they are and walk with them. And more than anything, God, would you give every one of us the peace that your word says you will give. Lord, in this world, we need it. We need a lot more of it. So I ask, God, that you will help us to reflect on the things that we're hanging on to for our comfort. And maybe, God, step out in faith and raise that game in our lives by serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.